I am launching in on this Wednesday evening in a new series on the transforming power of life with God. And we're thinking about our devotional life with God, specifically tonight, about what it means to walk with God daily. This is really at the foundational level of what the Christian life is, but then there's also a lot of breadth and depth that goes along with it as you grow in your devotion to the Lord. And in the coming weeks, just to give you a little preview of the series, uh, I'm going to be going through some basic categories of prayer, including adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication. Uh, That'll be our next four weeks, emphasizing that. And then I want to do something a little bit different. I want to take the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit and use those as a template for prayer. So love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How can we pray for those? And then how does that transform us in our walk with God, in our relationship uh, with Him? So we'll be 13, 14 weeks probably, uh, maybe give or take a little bit uh, as we work our way through this study. Tonight, our emphasis is going to be in Hebrews chapter 4 and also in James chapter 4. If you want to find both of those passages, I'll be there here in just a few minutes. But here's the premise that I'm working from uh, as we get going this evening and throughout this study, really. The Christian life is about life with God. The Christian life is about life with God. Now, I've said that before, and I bring it up periodically because, number one, I believe it to be true. Uh, But number two, I believe it's important that we emphasize this because we can so complicate our faith. And there are many deep truths that we'll spend the rest of our lives on this earth uh, mining and uh, studying and trying to discover. Uh, But the basics of what the Christian life is all about come back to our life with God. And to say this in a, in a reverse kind of a way, if your understanding of the Christian life is not about your life with God, your walk with Him, the transforming power of the gospel and the power of the Word and the power of prayer and the Spirit in your life, then you're missing out. You're not understanding the depths of the relationship aspect of what God is calling you to. I read a little story about the first man who is recorded to have physically walked around the world. Uh, He was a man by the name of David Kunst of uh, Waseca, Minnesota. And he completed his historic walk on October the 5th of 1974. And he walked 15,000 miles to make this journey. The trip took him, all total, uh, four and a half years. Uh, during which uh, he went through 22 pairs of shoes and wore out two mules. At the completion of his historic journey, an auction was held with eager bidders paying $150 for the right shoe, $170 for his left shoe, and $140 for the surviving mule. Now, most people find it neither appealing nor practical to be a David Kunst and to accept the challenge to hike around the world. However, God wants us to understand that the Christian life is about walking with him. And it's not a journey that's a few years if the Lord leaves us here on this earth and Jesus tarries his coming, but it spans 
a lifetime from the time that you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ by faith until the time that you draw your last breath and you enter into eternity. That is your walk with God on this earth. Now, I read some recent statistics about spiritual devotion. Uh, Some of them were from Lifeway Research and some were from the Pew Research Center. And Lifeway Research found that 32% of people say they read the Bible personally every day. That number sounds a little high to me, but that was what they found in the study. 20% of people say they have read the Bible through at least one time. So think about your own life. How often do you read the Bible? Is it daily? Would you fit in that uh, less than one-third of people who say that they do? And have you read the Bible all the way through? Would you fit in that 20% that says they've read it from the beginning to the end? And uh, not surprisingly, research also found that regular Bible reading as a child uh, was the biggest factor in predicting spiritual health as young adults. The Pew Research study uh, showed that less than 50% of people say that they pray daily And that has fallen significantly over the past 15 years as our culture has continued to secularize. And uh, I like what Doug Sweeney said. He said, if Jesus' inner circle had a hard time praying, it probably shouldn't surprise us that we too fail to pray in the way that God intends. But what we find in the scripture is a pattern of followers of God who spent time with God alone with him in devotion. Jesus, of course, is the preeminent example. He did this. Uh, We understand the importance of the relationship with God, even if we don't necessarily practice it as as, uh, faithfully as we should. And um, Christopher Ashe said this. He said, the Christian life is based upon the work of God in the new birth, justification, the gift of the Spirit, the forgiveness of sins, and our union with Christ. The goal of the Christian life is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ and as a result to share in God's rule on the earth to the glory of God. Then he says this, using various means of grace such as scripture, prayer, the church, and uh, fellowship, God conforms the Christian into the image of Christ by the Spirit. The healthy Christian life is shown in faith and obedience good works, sacrificial living and giving, and participation in the worldwide mission of God in the church. So I want to ask and answer this question in these few minutes that we have this evening. How can we walk with God daily? How can we walk with God daily? And i got two goals for this tonight. First goal is that if you're already walking with God daily, is to encourage you to press on to face the obstacles and the distractions and all the things that would weigh you down and keep you from faithfulness in your devotion to him. I want you to keep pressing on, uh, keep walking with God, and God will honor that and he will bless you. If you are not, if you're not praying as you know you should, you call yourself a Christian, you've been saved, you're not reading your Bible as you should, and you know you need to, then what I want to do tonight for you is also to encourage you, but then coupled with that, to challenge you, to tell you that there is a better way, that there is more to the Christian life than what you are currently experiencing if you are not walking with God daily through prayer 
and the word. So how can we walk with God daily? Well, first of all, we can walk with God daily by answering his invitation, by answering his invitation. The invitation to walk with God daily is based on your spiritual position. Now you're going to see the progression of this, uh, and it begins with your position. In other words, who you are in Christ. And I'm going to begin in Hebrews 4, and I want to read verse 14 through 16. Here's what the scripture says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now this passage altogether speaks to our position in Christ, to the need for perseverance in the faith, and then to the practice of prayer. The first readers of Hebrews would have been tempted to abandon their Christian faith and return to Judaism. Why? Because they were experiencing significant persecution. The pressure of persecution sometimes causes people to want to go back to what they knew before, before they identified with Christ, before they came to faith in Jesus, before they called themselves disciples of the Lord. And that would have been the case for them as well. Leading up to this, the writer actually gives a bad example of Israel in the wilderness and how they failed to enter God's rest because of unbelief and disobedience. And then he speaks here of Jesus as our great high priest, the Son of God, the one who passed through the heavens, and we are to hold fast to our confession. We are following the one who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And because he sympathizes with our weaknesses, we are able to draw near to the throne of grace for help in our times of need. So you'll note here that there are two commands. The first command is an invitation to persevere, to hold fast to our confession. That's the idea of continuing on and persevering in what you know to be true. And since Jesus is our great high priest, the Son of God, who passed through the heavens, we hold fast to what we know to be true in him. And Jesus, as the great high priest, is now at the right hand of God. Now, this concept of high priest is, is probably a couple of degrees separated from us because we don't use that language and that terminology in our daily lives. But the Jews understood the significance of a high priest in a very real and present way. Moses' brother Aaron was the first high priest. You remember he was the mediator, the high priest was, between the people and God. And he and his fellow priests would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And they were to offer those sacrifices just as God said to do it, with the specifics that God had said to do it. And any variation in that would lead to the consequence of death. Just as Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, discovered when they offered strange fire on the altar, whatever that specifically was. The high priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement, would alone go into the Holy of Holies. 
and he would make atonement for the sins of the nation. And if he entered at the wrong time, he would die. He would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat in the presence of God. It was intended to symbolize the forgiveness that God would extend to his people. But the problem was that had to be repeated year after year. Jesus is not just another high priest in the line of Aaron. He is our great high priest. And rather than entering the Holy of Holies, he passed through the heavens. And when he ascended back into heaven, he ascended into the very presence of God in fulfillment of Psalm 110 and verse 1 where it says, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, no earthly priest would have dared sit down. They always stood. But Jesus now sits at the right hand of the throne of God because he has made atonement for our sins. So the words hold fast to our confession implies danger and effort. Confession implies not only our private belief in the essential doctrines of the faith, but also our declaration of it in the midst of difficulty. And we know that because of the circumstances that these people were experiencing. So that's the first command. The second command is to draw near with confidence. So we hold fast to the confession. That's the perseverance. But then we draw near with confidence, and that's where the prayer comes in. Since Jesus is a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, we can draw near to the throne of grace to receive help in our times of need. Now, it's interesting. If you read this closely, there's actually a double negative. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He's wanting to make an emphatic point here that Jesus is not unsympathetic. Jesus understands your deepest needs. And he became a man and suffered all that we experience as God in the flesh. And he sympathizes with our experience, and yet he's our sinless high priest. To the ancient world, a throne was a forbidding place because it represented a sovereign authority and judgment. And if you approached a throne, the throne of a king, and he did not hold out his scepter when you approached the throne, you were a goner. You, it, it was done. Your life was over. But the writer uses a different phrase here. He says, it is a throne of grace and that we are welcome at the throne of grace. So this is the invitation that God has extended to you through his son. It's an invitation that is extended because we are weak and yet we have a sympathetic high priest. It's an invitation that's been extended for whenever we need help. God never sleeps. He never slumbers. There's never a time when you're going to go to the throne of grace and you're going to be bothering God in some way. It's an invitation to have confidence as you go. And your confidence is not in what you've done. Your confidence is not in what you bring. Your confidence is in the finished work of Jesus. It's the position that you have because you have been declared righteous in him. Your standing is because what Jesus has done on your behalf. And it's an invitation to receive mercy and to find grace to help you in your time of need. So I want to encourage you to answer the invitation to walk with God daily based on who Jesus is. 
and based on who you are in him. So let me state this another way with a question. Are you and have you answered the invitation to walk with God daily? Only you know. I mean, like your spouse might not even know. Your kids probably don't know. Parents don't really know if their kids are walking with God daily. Only we really know if we're drawing close to God and and living life with him. If you are, keep pressing on. If you're not, I challenge you to answer the invitation. But then there's a second part here. We're to walk with God daily by drawing near. And now I want to go to the passage in James. Now, I told you in this first point that the invitation to walk with God daily is based on your spiritual position. Now I want to show you that the invitation to walk with God daily is also based on your spiritual proximity. James 4, beginning in verse 7. Therefore submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, I've read this passage, I don't know how many times, countless times, and studied it as well. Um, But I read a commentator that drew a parallel that I'd never really thought about, and and I want to share that with you. He said that this passage has often been called uh, the Second Chronicles 7.14 of the New Testament. The promise for the church, because it echoes the Old Testament promise that God revives his people when they come to him. And I think it's a wonderful parallel because it's a reminder to us that we have this open invitation to come to the throne of grace at any time of the day or night, uh, to pray without ceasing, to draw near to God, and then God will do something in us. Now, I think it's important to note here that the context of this passage is specifically how do you handle conflict and troubles. Uh, That does fit within this, but then there's more here by way of application. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you in verse 8. James provides both a command and a promise. That's the way the language reads. James commands us to draw near to God, just as the priest in the Old Testament would draw near to God in the temple sanctuary. The priests would approach God, but they would do it with faith and fear. And then we're reminded that it is God who makes the first move toward us, because if he did not, we would all perish in our sins. If it were not for our position... We could not so freely draw near. If it were not for the fact that Christ is the perfect high priest who finished the work on our behalf, as we just read in Hebrews 4, then there's no way we could just come freely at the invitation and draw near to God. And these words were written primarily to believers. And that's important as well because it's easy even for believers to drift away from the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and you can remember it. There's not a Christian in this room that's been a Christian for any time, length of time at all who has not at some point in their spiritual life, at a minimum, 
gone through a dry season in their devotional life. And I won't say everybody because I don't know everybody's spiritual walk, but I will say that most in this room, if they've been a Christian any time at all, have probably had some gaps along the way where they weren't reading the Bible hardly at all. They weren't praying much of anything other than just the minimum. It may have been a circumstance of life. It may have been a distraction that just drew them away from the Lord. It may have been some type of family crisis they were dealing with. Whatever it is, we've all experienced this. But the heart of this is that God has issued this invitation, but it's not just a one-time invitation to come to the event. It is a continual command and promise to draw near. So God's extending the invitation to you, and it's a, it's a daily invitation. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Uh, answer the command, claim the promise. And it's an ongoing relationship-building exercise. And the way that we draw near to God is through prayer and the Word. Through prayer and the Word. When you come before God with a humble heart and submission to His will, and you want to, you want to glorify Him, you can experience the closeness of God and the blessings that flow from Him. And I often say, it's one of my favorite quotes, it's not mine, but I just claim it as my own. Most people are just a prayer of repentance away from true life change. And here's how that could apply to you tonight. You might be going through one of those dry seasons right now. Or you might not ever really ever figured out what it meant to walk with God. And you struggle with it. And you don't even know where to start. Or you might be in some particularly challenging season right now where you know you're not where you need to be. You say, where do I restart? Draw near to God. Just say unto the Lord, Lord, here I am. I believe in you. I trust in you. I need you. I want to draw near to you. Will you draw near to me and help me? That's where it starts. And that can be the rekindling of your relationship with him. John Gill of old said this. He said, this must be understood consistently with the perfection of God's immensity and omnipresence. The saints draw near to God when they present their bodies in his sanctuary when they tread in his courts, and when they attend his ordinances. They draw near to him when they come to the throne of his grace for grace and mercy to help them, when they draw near to him in prayer with true hearts and lift them up with their hands to God, when in the exercise of faith and hope they enter within the veil and come up even to his seat and lay hold on him as their covenant God and Father, and he draws near to them by granting them his gracious presence." by communicating his love for them, by applying the blessings of his grace, by helping them in time of need and distress, and by protecting them from their enemies, the contrary to which is expressed by standing afar off from God. And then he says this, Now this is not to be understood as if men could first draw near to God before he draws near to them. For as God first loves, so he first moves. He takes the first step, and in conversion turns and draws men to himself. Do you see what God has done for you? He sought you when you didn't even know you needed to be sought. He found you even before you realized you were lost. And through the proclamation of the gospel in your life, 
good news was communicated to you. And if you're a Christian, you believed. You answered the ultimate invitation. And now you walk with God. You say, God, thank you for bringing me into your family. And I want to draw near to you. Hebrews 10.22 says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. A true heart means with sincerity and truth. You know what happens when we, when we do draw near to God? We're confronted with our own hypocrisy and with known sin. It's going to take me to the third point here in just a moment. But I think essentially what the call is here is a call to an undivided heart. A, a call to a dedicated life. There's no happy medium between being sold out in your commitment to God and then being committed to the world as well. It's not how it works. Don't exchange nearness to God for friendship with the world. You you can't have both. And what we need is a faith that is fully assured and certain. So here's what I know it means about drawing close. Drawing close uh, to God means that we are coming closer to him than we were before. We're seeking him while he can be found. And God calls us to draw near to him with the promise that he's ready and he's waiting to draw near to you. He, he, he never denies the approach because of our position in Christ. And I want to encourage you to answer the invitation to walk with God daily by drawing near. Let me ask you a question. If you're not feeling close to God right now, who moved? God didn't. He's unchanging. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He welcomes you. And if it was you that, that drifted or, or, or walked a distance from where you need to be in your walk with him, Come back to where God wants you to be. That's the heart of the Christian life. And then third, walk with God daily by purifying your heart. The first has to do with spiritual position. The second has to do with spiritual proximity. Now this has to do with spiritual purity. Verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Did you know that sinful desires and affections generally exclude prayer and work against our desire for God? There's just something about it, and, and I have I had time to give you an opportunity to give testimony tonight of this. I know those of you who walk with the Lord and love the Lord, you, you would echo what I'm about to say. If you are drawing near to God in prayer and the word, there will be a purifying effect. The Holy Spirit brings things to your mind daily that need to be transformed. He draws you into a closer walk with Jesus so that you can be conformed to his image. And you have a desire to get closer. But I promise you that when you're moving further and further away from the Lord, it's because that prayer and that time in the Word and that devotion is ebbing and other things are crowding it out. 
He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. This word here actually means a, a hardened heart in a sense. Um, sin that is obvious. And then he says in verse 9, be miserable and mourn and weep. What a message. This, this, this is uh, right to the heart. I mean, we can't get away from this. He says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. When you draw near to God, you will be convicted of your sin. And without true and deep repentance, you cannot expect the mercy of God. The inner sense of sinfulness should be matched by the outward expression of sorrow. And the combination of terms also appears in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 6, in the idea of mourning and weeping, mourning and wailing. What are these? These are signs of repentance, not substitutes for repentance. You know what James sounds like? He sounds like an Old Testament prophet. That's what he sounds like. He's talking about heartfelt repentance. And I think one of the things we've gotten away from in the church in, 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 at large is that, number one, we don't even talk about sin a whole lot. And, and we are engaged in a spiritual battle. And if it is true that it is God's will for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus, and if it is true that we have an enemy... Even as the writer of Hebrews spoke of in Hebrews chapter 4, that we have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, then don't you think he's going to use sin in your life and temptation in your life to draw you away from Christ? So this has to be something that we talk about in church because God cares about a pure church. He sounds like an Old Testament prophet because he's drawn us to a spirit of repentance. Much as when David lamented his sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51 and verse 17, he said, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now you'll notice here that James gives a progression in this chapter. When you resist the devil and mourn for sin and humbly draw near to God in submission... God, your Father, forgives and cleanses. That's the progression. So you understand the battle that you're in. You submit to God. You draw near to God. You hold firmly to what you know to be true. And God blesses you. You remember what Jesus said in the, in the Beatitudes? Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. You know what that reminds me of? Jesus changes our hearts from the inside out. Your heart is who you are. Ultimately. It's the person that nobody knows. But God. Only God really knows what's in our hearts. We can present certain fronts to people. We can tell other people about how wonderful our spiritual life and our devotion is. But God knows. If our relationship with him is not healthy, he knows it. If we're harboring sin in our hearts, he knows it. There's nothing hidden from him. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And what you are at the invisible root matters as much to God as what you are in the visible branch, as it's been said. 
Psalm 24 and verse 3 and 4 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So pure heart's not going to have anything to do with falsehood. Anything that's contrary to Scripture, anything that's contrary to the Holy Spirit, a pure heart's not going to swear deceitfully. It's going to honor God. And when we draw near to Him and we walk with God daily by purifying our hearts, what we're saying to God is, say, God, is, is we're saying, God, here I am with my guilty heart, my mourning heart, my trusting heart, my cleansed heart. It's just all laid bare. There's nothing hidden. I, I'm not here to, to put on a hypocritical front. I'm not here to somehow foolishly think that I can convince you that I'm something that I'm not. I'm just coming to God in humility. I'm saying, God, this is where I'm at. Take me to where you want me to be. That's what a devotional life is about. Answer the invitation to walk with God daily based on who Jesus is in nearness to him and purify your heart. Now notice the last part of these verses that we read in, in James. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now the word devotion, our word that we use for devotion, um, comes from the idea of being devout. So sometimes you'll hear the phrase just commonly used. No, I mean not as commonly as you used to would have heard it. But anyway, commonly used She's a devout Christian. He's a devout Christian. He's a devout follower of the Lord. What does that mean? Your devotion is evidence of and a demonstration of the faith that you claim to have. And it means to be dedicated to God through your walk of faith. Now, we all want to accomplish things in our lives. You know, we want to be relevant in our areas of influence, and we like it when people like us. And there's a lot of things in life that are good, but they're not ultimate, right? They're, they're things that are they're okay. They're things that, that we get some joy from, we, we find some purpose in, we, we spend our time and our energies because these are the, this is the way God's wired us. These are the opportunities put in front of us and all that. And let me tell you, when it comes down to the end of it all, and your time on this earth is done, it's over, it, it, you're finished, what will have mattered the most is have you walked with God. That's it. Because whether or not you're walking with God informs the rest of it. Are you walking with him? Are you devoted to him in your life? And that's what I want to challenge you in, and that's what I want to encourage you in in these coming weeks, is walking with God daily, and then what does that look like specifically through some application of prayer and the word? Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. Father, I thank you for the people in this room tonight. I know there are many in here whose dedication and devotion to you is commendable. They love you. They're walking with you daily. They're seeking you through prayer and the word. And I pray that 
you would encourage every person that that's the case in their life, that, that you would encourage them to know that you are near and that you are faithful. Whether we're going through a dry time or a discouraging time, uh, Lord, help us to be faithful to you as you've been faithful to us. I pray for my brothers and sisters here tonight who maybe are not where they want to be. They, they know this is important. They, they know the value of it. They, they know in their heart this is so central to spiritual growth. But they've just not gotten started or, or, or maybe not where they want to be at this point in their spiritual life. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, the counselor, the encourager, would come alongside each one of those persons tonight and help them to know that every day is a new beginning. May we be laid bare before you, Lord, with nothing to hide and honor you with our lives. Teach us to pray, Lord Jesus. Teach us to read the word. Teach us to be devoted. And God, I pray for anybody here tonight who maybe doesn't yet have a relationship with you through your son. I thank you that the gospel is a gift, nothing that we can earn, freely given, and we receive it by faith. And I pray, Lord, that our faith would be in Christ and Christ alone. Bless the worship ministry tonight as they prepare for the weekend. And thank you again, Lord, for us being able to get started again tonight on our regular schedule. We look forward to gathering together again on Sunday. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.